Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 40. This is a very special chapter. In a sense, this chapter is the fulfillment of Exodus 29, 45 to 46, when God said, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now, notice the word that in the middle of verse 46. God saved them so as to dwell among them. Salvation is always unto God. It's not just from bondage, though it is that. But more than that, it is unto God. Remember, J. Alec Machir said, The tabernacle could make a strong bid to be the greatest of all biblical visual aids. Closed quote. So the tabernacle is teaching here, and this chapter is teaching here. It is reminding us that salvation from fear and death and the devil is only the beginning. Ultimately, Old Testament and New, salvation is unto God. The Bible as a whole ends on that note in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 3. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Closed quote. Same ending as the one we're seeing here. The people were set free from terrible bondage. They were fed and cared for in a desert land. They were given a law and taught how to live as a saved people. They were given dignity. They were disciplined, chastened, corrected, and forgiven. And now they have it all. They have the Lord dwelling in the midst of them as their God. That is the end. That is the point. And that is the climax of this salvation story. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it, and you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. 
In verses 1 to 8, which we've just read, God officially commands Moses to erect the tabernacle. In much the same way that the mayor of a town might give the official command to cut the ceremonial ribbon, so here the word goes out and the work begins. God commands the tabernacle to be erected. And also in verses 9 to 11, he gives a similar command for the tabernacle and its furnishings to be anointed. Verse 9, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. In verses 12 to 15, God commands the priests to be anointed. He says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So those are the official instructions. And as we see in verses 16 to 33, Moses executed those instructions precisely. Verse 16, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Now let's pause here. That date is significant. Nahum Sarnas is helpfully. The tabernacle is to be erected just two weeks short of the first anniversary of the exodus from Egypt and exactly nine months since arriving at Sinai. This is New Year's Day a date which forges another link with the creation narrative, closed quote. So this is a sort of new creation. That's the point. It's a new day, a new start for God's people. And of course, there are several of these new starts in the Bible. Noah was a new start. Abraham was a new start. And this is a new start. But as Bible readers know, each of these Old Testament new starts eventually ended in a new fall and a new disaster. And each time, God picked up the pieces and provided for atonement and reinvigorated the covenant enterprise. But by the end of the Old Testament, you're starting to feel as if what we really need here is not just a new start. We need a new heart. And so in the later prophetic writings, that's what you start to hear about. A new start, yes, but also a new heart. And, of course, that prepares us for what Jesus says in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. This was a new start, and it was a good day, and it was a great grace. We jump back into the story at verse 18. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark 
and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. I mentioned in an earlier episode that seven times in chapter 39 and seven more times in chapter 40, we hear some version of that phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. The emphasis is on the precise obedience of Moses and the people in following the instructions of the Lord. And that is intended to forge a connection in our brains with the content that we're about to read now in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Again, it would be hard to miss the point being made here. There is a connection between precise obedience and the experience of the presence of the Lord. Now, of course, we are interested in the fact that according to verse 35, when the cloud covered the tent and the glory of the Lord filled the tent, Moses was not able to enter. Why would that be? The tabernacle now was a sort of portable Sinai. All the signs and evidences of God's presence that had been on Mount Sinai are now here in the tabernacle. But Moses was invited into the presence of God on the mountain, and he had been in the presence of God in the tent of meeting. So why was he now unable to enter in? Douglas Stewart provides a very helpful explanation. He says the tabernacle was now Yahweh's house and no one else's. It was no more appropriate now for Moses to enter the tabernacle, even though he had been all through it as its building supervisor, than it would be for a house builder in modern times to retain a key 
and enter at will a house he had built once it was sold to its occupying owner. When the new owner enters, the new house is exclusively his, not the builder's. Later, Moses and Aaron would be able to enter the tabernacle, and provision would be made for the high priest to enter it, even the Holy of Holies, periodically. But by the present act of occupying his house through his glory and temporarily keeping all others out, God showed Moses and all Israel that the house was now his and his alone and indeed his truly and entirely, the very thing they had built it to become. Closed quote. That is the end toward which this entire story has been moving. God living in the midst of his people. God began this work by delivering them from their bondage in Egypt, and he has completed that work now by dwelling visibly and powerfully in their midst. Perhaps it was reflecting upon this story that caused the Apostle Paul to write in Philippians 1.6 that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord finishes what he starts. There is no enemy strong enough and no sin or apostasy grievous enough to finally deter him from his glorious purpose. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you are interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. I hope by now you have downloaded our app at the Apple App Store or Google Play or wherever it is that you find your apps. It is a great way to access the content And you can also use it to connect with us, and I hope that you do. God willing, we will be releasing some excursies episodes based on some of the content we've encountered in Exodus. You can watch for those over the next couple of weeks. And then our next series will be on the book of Judges. That will come out in July, and we will also plan on releasing some new Psalm episodes around that time as well. Hope to see you then. Until that time, God bless. Be well, and thanks again for listening. Before.